Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers soon to be, or uh, maybe your children have grown up and you're in the grandparent stage. But I want to be really honest. I know a lot of you are fathers, even though you maybe uh, didn't have a child. And I have had a lot of people speak into my life in a father kind of way. And uh, thank you, church, for being fathers, for being godly fathers. I'm going to be honest, I'm really surprised the world still celebrates Father's Day because we are having this tsunami of change where everything that is and was is no longer sufficient. It's all deficient. And so whether you like it or not, things are really radically changing. And I think our world desperately needs you dads. And our, desperately, our world desperately needs you to understand the important, awesome position that you being the dad that you've chosen to be, we need you. And I just want to pray now. Heavenly Father, oh God, I come up so short as a dad. And I know so many of us do, but Lord, we are leaning into your presence into your uh, Holy Spirit, that we as dads can be everything that we need to be for our children and, and even to be spiritual fathers of many because our world is in such need of, of correctness, of love, of compassion, of protection. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you will stir in our hearts this morning to be the Fathers, spiritually, physically, whatever way that you, God, have designed for us to be. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So I'm going to jump straight into the Bible this morning so you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 12 if you have your Bibles. And I was thinking as I was preparing my sermon, I should start writing in the odd mistake, like giving you the wrong reference, although I do that often just because. And, uh, but I should write in the odd mistake and see who can catch it in their Bibles, what uh, my mistake is, and even get them to put the mistake on the screen and then have a prize, mostly because I think you should bring your Bibles. I think our Bibles, and most of you have a phone in your pocket right now, just grab it out. Open up your Bible and uh, get really used to being around in the Bible because you know that when we go through hearing God, if you've been through our hearing God, the primary way God speaks to his children is in the Word of God. And we need to be in the Word of God. And I can tell you, if there's one thing the devil wants to stop you from doing is from reading your Bible. He wants you to take the fast food method Try to figure it all out yourself or, or listen to some funny, entertaining speaker to try to get some truth and some scripture. But you need to be in the word of God. God wants to speak to you. And so this morning, we're going to go in the Bible. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to come across. Now, I, I could have gone to lots of examples in the scriptures of bad fathers. And there are lots of examples. There are some fathers that were neglectful. There was some who ran away. There were some that were abusive. There was fathers in the Bible who were indifferent. All the kind of things that you think of, well, this isn't good. In fact, even as we were in prayer this morning, 
uh, I heard that uh, uh, about, I, I think they project about 80% of people in the um, prison system didn't have a father. So when I say to you fathers, you are so desperately needed as an example, we so desperately in our society need it. And I know we as a church are feeling like the tsunami of change, it's overwhelming us. We want to march in the streets. But the truth is what's going to transform our nation is one person at the time coming to a relationship with Jesus and making the Bible their primary go-to source. So if you're a dad here this morning, I'm only going to bring up one bad father in the Bible and then I'm going to bring you to the most perfect dad in the Bible. And you'll understand what I mean in a few moments. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, we come across a high priest named Eli. Now Eli's uh, problem with his children wasn't so much that, well the text doesn't really say if he was absent, abusive, but you'll see what the text does say was Eli's shortcoming as a father. And in fact, when we go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, we hear this about Eli's son. Listen to this. Eli's sons were scoundrels. Now, I don't know what was in the Hebrew, but that's unusual for that kind of a harsh word to be translated from the Hebrew. So his sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Not a bit. And uh, just to give you a little bit of history now, the high priest, God chose a priestly lineage, and the fathers, grandfathers, children, children of children, they all would run the temple where the offerings came, where the services went. They would keep track of the lands. They would even grow some crops on the lands. But there was this class of religious people called Levites, and Eli was one of the high priests in the temple in Jerusalem. And so we read the story. And if you were to go on from this verse, you would find that the text uh, explains that the way that the priest's family would get meat is people had to bring meat to be uh, sacrificed at the temple, and they had a great big vat of boiling water, and people would throw their offering in this uh, big vat. And what the priest would do is he had this big fork, and he would just poke it in the water, and whatever came out, he got to take that home for his family. Now what Eli's sons did is when you came in to bring your offering, if you were under the law and you were in the Old Testament, you would have to bring these sacrifices of meat. And then what Eli's sons would say, they would say, don't throw the meat in, we want to take our pick first. And it, the text even goes on to say, and if you don't give us the pick, we're going to take it anyway. And this is kind of what was going on. Now, these were obviously adult children, and they were in the temple serving. Now, this news got to Eli of what was going on. And uh, it, it was even so bad that the sons were also sleeping with uh, women that were at the temple doors, greeting and helping out. Now, they were, like, literally forcing themselves on them. So this news got to Eli, and then we get down uh, a few more verses to, ver oh, I didn't write down, verse 22, and we read these words. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all the Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to his sons, why do you do such things? 
Now he says a little bit more if you were to read, but nothing of significance. But basically he goes, what are you doing? And then he walks away. And if you read the text, uh, what happens is the sons basically say, eh, dad, whatever. They ignore everything he says. And then God gives some warnings to Eli. And he tells him that his sons Hophni and Phinehas are about to come under great tragedy. And he writes, the time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you and they will both die on the same day. Now what was the crime or what was the issue Obviously, Hophni and Phineas, they, they literally were, I mean, it was right at the heart of everything that was important to the Jewish people. They were making a mockery of the system set up. They really didn't obviously believe in God, and they never thought there would be any consequences from God. And even upon their dad's mild warning, which had no consequences, they continued doing what they were doing. And God warns Eli, this is what's going to happen. And it is just so sad at what happens. Basically what happens, if you were to read the text further, is one day the two boys basically just die. And then Eli is told that his sons died. And get this, he's a very old man, remember that. He falls over and breaks his neck and dies also. That's the end of the story. And you're going, well, why did you just tell me such an uplifting story on Father's Day? Let me go back to 80% people incarcerated in prison are there often because there is no father in their lives. And sometimes a father can be in the home, but he's not really in the lives of his children. Now, when I was growing up, I had a great father. He played baseball with me. He took me fishing. We got to go camping. I had a father that was somewhat engaged in my life. His little bit of shortcoming is he didn't like to get, oh, we used to argue like crazy, him and I, because I, for whatever reason. I, and if you ever start arguing with me, it, it puts me back to my dad, and I can ask the elders. Sometimes I can, I'm getting better. I'm not as bad, but my dad was just so argumentative, but he never really got that personal about stuff. When he was in his older years, my dad started to, I would ask him questions like, how did you grow up? Or did you ever believe in Jesus? Or I would ask him all, and so then he started to be a little more personal. And Weirdly enough, I'm the only kid that he did that with, and I don't know why. But a lot of us as fathers might be there, but we're absent. In this case of Eli, it was mostly that he was just so passive about everything with his kids. And we know if we were to study the scriptures that as fathers, you're supposed to discipline your children. And we're going to read a little bit about that in a few moments. But we're supposed to discipline our children because if we don't discipline our children, it honestly means you don't love them. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about beatings. But I am talking about consequences for things that they do. Because there will come a day, in fact the scriptures say when the children are young, discipline them. There will come a day when they're old enough, the discipline won't do them any good. It's too late. 
it has been said, and it was years ago, but that the Pope uh, a couple of generations ago said, if you give me a child till he's six years old, I'll have him for life. And fathers, it's very important. Here's an interesting thing that I read about the pandemic. It's actually made a lot of fathers who were forced to go home because they were laid off or they're working from home. And a lot of fathers, when they pull fathers and said, I'm not going back to the way it was. I've actually been engaged with my children. This is what God designed for us to be like. Do you remember back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, just going along? Adam and Eve used to go for walks in the evening with God. These were intimate, connecting walks with God. This is what God desires of you as a father. Now I tell you this not to say that the men in the church have a problem. I say this to say to you as fathers, as I started out, good on you for being godly fathers. Don't let up. Don't stop. You are a light shining in this world in an absent father society. There is so much at stake. And yes, I had Christian men in my life, even as young as, ooh, I think I was six, seven years old when the neighbor who was a Christian man would often spend time with me. I'd go with his family and do stuff. The Globe and Mail this week had an article that talked about how the pandemic is causing fathers to reevaluate being involved with their kids. Listen to what it says. The pandemic has created unprecedented chaos for working families, and it has made many fathers more present for it. A survey of more than 1,000 fathers conducted last year by the Canadian Men's Health Foundation found 60% of them said they felt closer to their children as a result of public health directives to stay at home. And yes, we hear so much negative news, there's a positive. About half of them said they plan to be more engaged as a father going forward. I watch you as fathers in the church, out in the atrium. Sometimes I get to see you out in your own homes or I get to see you in the parks. Good on you. Keep being that engaged father. And uh, my son-in-law was just up here praying for missionaries. I'm so glad that my daughter picked him. Well, maybe he picked my daughter. Depends if you ask them. But as I watched Joel, my son-in-law, I say to myself, there is hope for this world. Because I see he does not let his kids get away with no consequences. If they speak to me disrespectfully, or even if they say, and I'm a big softie, they call me Pop. You know, Pop, I want some candy. And Joel will say, what do you say? You say, please, or Joel will say, actually, it's almost supper time. You can't have any candy. I'm guessing that Eli wasn't like that. I'm guessing Eli gave his kids whatever they want. They learned that life doesn't have matter, it doesn't have consequences. Keep being engaged in your children's lives. Teach them the truth and the consequences of choices we make. When they are young, teach them. And you might be going, oh man, so many years have gone on. Well, just engage. You know, one of the things I, and especially in this society where you have so many blended families, and I grew up in a blended family, But the best advice I can give to blended family, especially a father coming in and some of the kids aren't yours or maybe all of them aren't yours, the first thing I will say to a blended family, now, when I had kids and they came home as little babies, 
I began to develop an attachment right away. I remember my wife was already attached to them before they were born, but I had no emotional attachment to them other than my ear on the belly going, oh, there's a kick, that's interesting. But I had no attachment. But over time, this kind of built-in relationship attachment happened. And so when I told them to go to the room, they knew that I loved them. Now, what happens often with stepfathers when they walk into a situation, they don't have the relationship, they don't have the attachment, and they decide, I'm going to be the boss. And I say to fathers, for one year, do no discipline, only work on your relationship with them. You know how critical and important this is? It is so important. So I'm going to fast forward now to the Bible's best, most incredible father. Who do you think it is? Oh, nobody knows. Some of you are probably, it's God, it's God. You're right. God was the best father. Now, I, I point that out because not every father, because children have free will, not every father, even if he does it perfect, has everything go well. And I always say to fathers whose children go astray as adults, I always say to them, who was the perfect father in the Bible? Well, it was God. And what happened to his children, Adam and Eve? They made some choices. And they had a relationship with the father. They used to walk with them, and they made some choices that really caused an enmity or a, a division between us and the heavenly father that we still now restored through Jesus have today but there was this brokenness in relationship because of the choices that those with a perfect father have. But I want us to look at God, the most perfect father in the Bible. And there's all sorts of dad characteristics. Now, I, I don't know how long, and I was trying to remember as I was going over my sermon last night, how long I spent. It was like half an hour, maybe it was an hour, maybe it was two hours. I get lost when I study. But I looked in the Bible for all the examples of the heavenly father being a good dad. And it took me not very long to come up with 20 examples. How much time do we have left? Oh, it says I have two minutes left. Ooh, I better get moving. We're not gonna go through all 20, we're just gonna go through a few. So an example of a good biblical father, go to Psalm 103, 13. As a father has compassion on his children, there's a lot of assumptions. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, don't get caught up in the fear thing. The fear thing is really a respect, a connection, a relationship. You know who God is and you know who you are. And there is a connection and a relationship and a respect that is deserved because you know who he is and you know how much he loves you. But I want to single out that idea of compassion. If you as a dad want to be a father that is biblical, you need to be like God and you need to be compassionate with your children. We know the Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. But did you know that if you were a God that exasperates your children, the scriptures say, if you're a father who never ever extends any compassion or understanding, but it's just all tough and rules and hard, that's the other ditch. Eli never had any, I mean, all he was was compassion, never did anything. But the other ditch is fathers who just say, do a, you can't do anything. I'm not even going to let you smile. Don't you ever, ever think life is fun. Life is hard and you've got to learn this right now. Cold, hard dads who focus on everything but their kids are not raising kids with a good chance in this life. 
And you might say, well, I'm providing for them. Well, good on you. There's a lot of fathers out there that, and I was in a lot of churches that didn't pay me very well, and I tried to make it up in relationship. Everything I built in was connecting with my kids. I remember back in grade seven, there was a bully in my grade. I won't say his name just because maybe he comes to Christ and he's watching the service. But he was a really bad bully. But I was, by grade seven, I'd already started growing and I was one of the tallest kids in the grade. He left me alone. I mean, I don't know, because I'm pretty passive, so I think if he would have gone after me, I probably would have caved, let him punch me and beat me up. But just because of my size, he left me alone. So even at recess when I went outside, all the little kids figured it out real quick and they would just hang out. I felt like a king walking around, all these little kids with me, because they knew this guy wouldn't touch them. And I was okay, like, yeah, come over, hang out with me. Hi, Frank, how you doing? And me and 40 kids are walking around. This guy used to drive me crazy. One day, he invites me to his house for lunch. I don't know why. I don't remember at all. I just remember going. And I don't even know why I would have went, because he terrified me. So I go to his house, and it just happened that day his dad was home. I got to realize why this guy was a bully. His dad was a nasty bully. Put his son down, you're useless. In front of his friend that he's brought home for the first time. And it was then I went, oh, I get what the problem with this kid is. Now again, I don't want to, I want to remind you that kids have a free will and they might make choices that even if you're a good father, <laughs> it may not go well. But this guy had no chance. And I wished I could follow him up to today to find out because I think I've told you in grade eight, the only fight I had in school, and, and I've told you how I met the guy, he had come to Christ, and I met him a few years later, and I said, I'm so sorry I beat you up. And he goes, oh, that's weird, because I remember beating you up. And so we had different memories. So, But I would love to meet this bully, because I wonder. And I wanna, I've been really honest about the redemption Jesus does in me and the change in my character he continues to do. And I wonder if this guy has been transformed by Jesus yet. And maybe he's a great father. And I say that to you if you had a really bad upbringing and you really struggle. Now, I struggled with certain things as a parent. And because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, I had to learn from my wife how to be a Christian parent and what that meant. And my wife had a horrible teenage years as a girl growing up, so when my kids became teenagers, because I had a great teenage years, well, except for grade eight. Well, grade seven was a little rough with the bully, and then grade eight had some more bullies. And so I tended to lean in on the kids more when they were teenagers. So we're all broken. I used to always tease my kids that they'd all be in counseling because of me. And I think three of them have done some counseling, but I'm glad to say I don't think it was because of me. Of course, they're so nice, they don't tell me. Because we're far from perfect. So don't get me wrong, I'm not calling for perfection. I'm calling for engagement, I'm calling for discipline, I'm calling for uh, some compassion. A little side note, and I learned this in college. And, and I remember, it, it really had to do with loving people. And I learned the principle both by professors and a number of books I read then, that if you struggle with loving others, it's most likely because you haven't been loved. 
You will not be able to love others until you experience love. You will not be able to comfort children. You will not be able to be compassionate until you experience comfort and compassion. As a Christian, where do you experience that? I mean, hopefully from some Christians, but more importantly, back to the Bible is the primary way God speaks to you. I read a quote by Tozer this week, and he says, so many of us don't hear from God because we've already decided we're not gonna listen and be obedient anyway. So let's start connecting with God. Let's, let's let the God of compassion give you compassion, the God of love, give you love, experience it, have it, soak it up, and then you can turn around and be compassionate and loving to others. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, running out of time. He is the rock, that's God the Father. His works are perfect and in all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Now there's a thing to try to aspire to. And again, I've teased my kids that they'd all be in counseling because of me. Psalm 68.5. I mean, you need to get to know this Father. You need to experience his presence in your life. Father of the fatherless, Psalm 68.5 says, and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Oh, friends, our God, our Father, he wants to be your Father. If you didn't have a Father, maybe had a few shortcomings like my did, or maybe you had a Father that was absent, God wants to be your Father. He wants to be a Father of the, he wants to protect you, this text says. I mean, when you think about a Father, and again, me being the big tall with 40 kids around me, I hope I taught those kids some, some heavenly fatherness to them. We can be that. We can be fathers like that. If we let God be our father, if we let God be our protector, and we can become a father to fatherless as God is a father to you. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What is the love that God gave to you and me? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a life amongst us, a perfect life, and he died on a cross of death he didn't deserve. And why did he do that? So that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And why did Jesus do that? He did that so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be restored to the heavenly Father. First John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love, listen, this proves my point of my earlier comment, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. When you experience the Father's love, if, if you're struggling with being nasty and angry and vengeful and bitter, experience the love of God. Because when you experience God's love, then you will be loving to other people. You feel lots of God in your heart and it'll push out all the ugliness. And don't get me wrong with all that. God is love. But I had rules at home, back to that relationship thing. And those rules, for most part, some of them were, my dad was German and strict, I had rules at home to protect me and to help me to thrive. 
you know, I had to be there at meals so that when the meal was ready, if I didn't show up at meal, there was no food left for me, by the way. And because it just would make so much work for mom trying to fi feed five kids. So I had rules to protect me and to help me and to thrive. I also had a relationship with my dad where he talked to me and he did stuff with me and took me camping. So many times as a child, I deserved the door. And I did tell you that my dad did kick me out a few times and I just never left. And what is really cool is that he kept loving me despite that. I think once he calmed down, I wish we could have talked about it, but we didn't. And I always got that hot meal and a kiss goodnight. Dad, let's keep being dads like that. Let's be an incredible, I mean, growing up with my dad, he did stuff back in that day. Now, if you didn't know back then, and this is in the 60s, everybody had this. You, you look in your closet of your kids and you're like, I see like little juniors growing to the next size and there's four garbage bags of clothes coming out. Back in the 60s and everybody, I had two pairs of pants and two shirts. In other words, I was wearing one and the other set was getting washed. And that's just the way everybody was like that. And I was so well taken care of. My dad bought me, uh, well, he bought the family a snowmobile. He bought us a little motorbike. No other kids had that kind of stuff. My, and it came a great sacrifice. I remember my dad used to drag me out of bed Saturday mornings. I'd have to go collect bottles. And I'd be like, Dad, why do we collect? We need the money. Oh, Dad, come on. So we'd be collecting bottles all the way from Fort St. John to Dawson Creek in the ditches. Well, one day, he goes into town Saturday morning, and he comes back and he says, comes in the house, he said, Anthony, I need your help. Do I have to? I don't know. We didn't have video games then or anything. Probably watching cartoons. I go outside. Dad opens up the trunk and there's a little mini bike in there. And I helped him get it. I go, what, what, what's this for, Dad? Well, you know all those bottles that you picked? Can you imagine my, my dad doing that taught me as a son? We, we need to lean into the Heavenly Father. We need to experience his compassion and his love. <laughs> one last text, and I promise to quit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. You think that you're too sinful for God to love you? You don't know the God I know. And the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort, this is about to argue my point that if you want to be these characteristics, you need to experience it from God who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Comfort and compassion. Now, again, I could go through and through and I still have lots more verses that we could go in Hebrews and and various other things. But fathers, thank you for being fathers in your little world and in the Grand Prairie world. Keep being fathers. Keep connecting with God. Experience his presence. Experience his love. Experience him, the father of the fatherless. Final quick thought. In the National Post this week, one of the writers, Jamil Giovanni, he writes this, sons must forgive the fathers who abandoned us. 
and his first words are, I'll start. He describes his father and says he learned from Jordan Peterson, anybody read him, quoting the Bible story of Jacob and Esau, that we are all deficient. Now, I've been trying to think what he got out of that with Jordan Peterson, but that's okay. And he writes that we all need a break, and so do our fathers. I mean, he talked, his father basically abandoned him. His father wasn't around. His father basically helped give birth to three kids, was barely around, and then eventually left when he was a teenager. And he writes, his dad only contacted him a few years ago because he had heard that this Jamal had cancer. And he wondered if he was going to live or not. Then when he asked him, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm going through treatment, and he never heard from the father again. And then in this article, he quotes, in his words, the Christian program written by a pastor called Celebrate Recovery. And he writes, this is what the Celebrate Recovery says, you must let go of the pain of the past harm and abuse caused by others. Until you are able to release it and forgive it, it will hold you prisoner. This is all part of the step of being a great father is you need to let go too, possibly, of what your father's done to you. When I was 21, I went through that process. Again, I was at college, I read all this stuff. I began to experience everything that God had for me. And it empowered me to go to my earthly dad. And I sat down with dad at 21. And I've told you the story before. The first thing I did is I asked his advice on something. If you knew me and my dad and the way we argued and I thought my dad knew nothing, and all of a sudden I realized, well, maybe he knows something. And at 21, I asked his advice, and it was great advice. I was unemployed, and I wanted, what should I do? And, you know, and, and he goes, well, what are your options? And it was great advice. And suddenly my dad and I had a connection that we had never had before, because all we did was argue. My mother used to say to me, Anthony, why don't you just learn to keep your mouth shut? I just couldn't. My personality, I just want to fight everything. So in conclusion, there we go. We're at the end. Be the father you've been called to be. And, and to do that, connect often to the Heavenly Father to discover what an awesome father is. Again, if he gives you comfort, you can cover others. If you, he give, you experience his love, you can love others. If, if he's compassionate to you, then you can be compassionate to your children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that have shown up here today, especially the dads. And again, I have seen such incredible examples of fathers in this church. And God, we are a light and a beacon to our neighbors. Not because we scream and yell and beat our children. Oh God, let that never be who we are. And if that is something we've struggled with, because I certainly had a temper with kids, Oh, God, would you let us experience your love, your comfort, your compassion, your grace. And because we build in this relationship with our children, God, then we can sit down with them and say, no, you can't eat that candy. We're about to eat supper. Or, no, you came in too late to eat supper, so you're not getting supper. Oh, God, may our kids know that everything we do is for 
their good, for love, because they've seen us love them. And oh God, would you just empower these fathers that are in this pew today? Would you empower those that are watching this online? Oh God, raise up an army of fathers who experience the Father God's love so that they can then love their children. Oh God, would you drive us to your Bible? Would you drive us to our knees? And would we be people of the book? Would we be people of relationship with the Father? Would we be people that are growing in character, in restoration, in relationship with you, God? Thank you that your son Jesus died on the cross, that I could be reconciled to you, that I could have a relationship with the perfect Father in the universe. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.